What's the most important resource that you have? If you really thought about this deeply, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that Joey and I did. It's time. In our newest book, What's Without Wall Street, The Three Steps to Financial Freedom Through Passive Income, we talk about how are we tracking that time? Well, what is the thing that we can do to get more of that time back? That's right. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and thought, man, it would be amazing if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. We led up to this event, Joey, that we did in Denver, Colorado, by asking the question, if you feel like you're on an island, if you feel like you are the only one in your circle trying to build passive income that exceeds your monthly expenses and your business is successful, but you don't feel like you've spent a fraction of the time that you needed to focusing on how to build passive income, that was why you need to be at this event. And while we were at this event, we we broke it down into three key areas. We broke it down from an economic lens to give us insight and a, a lens, a viewpoint of how to look at the world of investing and what to do based upon that information. And then we we did, we dove into different passive income strategies. We looked at technology that could organize and track all of that information. And then we even got insight on how to protect it and how to pass it along to the next generation. I think there's people out there that maybe there's you listening to this that needs to take action. What would you tell them about? Well, at the end of the day, you're about to listen to a recap of what Russ and myself and our business partner, Sharon Srivatsa, all had to say about our takeaways. And what I want to challenge you with is don't be okay or satisfied with our takeaways. You need to be at the next one. You need to be in the room because our takeaways are great. But the ones that affect you the most are the ones when you're present, you're in that event, you're meeting the people after hours, over a cocktail, in the Denver Broncos locker room, wherever it may be. And those are the insights that are going to propel you to your goals. You need to join us right now. Go to thepassiveincomemastermind.com and apply. If this is your tribe, if you believe this is your tribe, apply and let's see if we're a fit. But without further ado, let's jump into our Denver Mastermind Retreat 2023 right now. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Muray. All right, this is Russ Morgan with Wealth Wealth Wall Street. I'm sitting here with Joey Muray, my partner with Wealth Wealth Wall Street, as well as Sharon Srinvatsa. If you haven't had a chance to to know or hear from Sherrod, you should be following him on Instagram. You should be following him on, on his podcast, The Business School, because he is the president of Real Brokers, the fastest growing publicly traded real estate brokerage in the world. He's also a 4X Inc. 
500 entrepreneur and mentor to top CEOs and influencers has been amazing help to us. And if you're already listening to this on this podcast, welcome uh, to allow me to be the, the MC for this. So Sharon, I'm gonna let you come in first because we just got back from our passive income mastermind retreat. It was our fifth retreat that we've done. And I'd love to hear some takeaways that you had from it. Yeah, uh, Russ, thank you for the thank you for the introduction. And more importantly, I think the the key, the, my biggest overarching takeaway was uh, having done various versions of kind of financial planning, thinking about the future, talking about money, having Joey and you advise kind of me and my family on the financial on the finance side. Being at the event, one thing was was bright as bright as day, and that was this stuff is very complex. And the more we learn, the more we realize that we need community to kind of help us sort through what we need to learn, what we need to do, and how we need to react to the changing economy. So um, from a from, from a very broad perspective, the thing I took away the most was if I am not in these rooms, if I am not in community, in mastermind with people that are thinking like us, um, I'm significantly behind because walking in, I thought I was going to be able to contribute. Walking in, I thought I was able to be able to share. And then I realized that I spent most of the event in receipt of the knowledge, in receiving mode of all the uh, of all the gifts of information. And I took a lot more notes in a, and, and jotted down a lot more takeaways than most people did. Uh, and so for that, I am super grateful because now is the time to be in community with folks that are thinking like us because in 20 years, it's not that it's too late. It's just too hard. It's never too late. It's just too hard. And so if you can make it easier for us today, I think is being in a, in a group of people that are committed to doing similar things and everyone's approaching it in, in, in a different way so we can learn from them without having to go through that pain or that hardship ourselves. Right. I love that. And if you're listening to this from the Business School podcast, let me introduce you to Joey Murray. He is the co-founder of the Wealth Without Wall Street, a community that's focused on helping people stop trading time for money and helping them get to financial freedom, which is when their passive income exceeds their monthly expenses as fast as possible. Stallion, big takeaway from being in Denver, Colorado. Man, I, I'll tell you, I love what you said, Sharon, that uh, from an intellectual standpoint, from a ahead standpoint, you're exactly right. This stuff is hard, right? There's a lot. There's a, and in the, in the uh, landscape is constantly changing. And so getting together regularly in a group like this is not only a you know, luxury, it's a necessity, right? Because it, it can easily pass you by. And, and we're going to get into some of just the economic outlooks that were shared, but I want to also highlight the not just the head part of this, but the heart part, right? When you're surrounded by other people and you're hearing them, I mean, there there were people at the outset of our event that were literally in tears talking about the impact that others that they met just 24 to 48 hours before had on their lives. Like that doesn't happen at your active business mastermind. Okay, like active businesses are great and you should go to masterminds to be at the top of your game as it relates to being a realtor, or being a, a service provider, or being like whatever your business is, you should be involved in masterminds like that. But when you talk about going into a place where people are so abundant, they're thinking at a, a 
10x what you've ever thought about in terms of your own finances, your own ability to be generous and to give. When we're talking about getting to 200% of your monthly expenses and passive income, that is a different conversation than hiring, firing, marketing. Like all those things are great for your active business, but we're talking at a ridiculously high level. And man, you can't trade the culture of that community for anything in the world. And I, I guarantee you, you walk up to any one of those people that attended and they would tell you the exact same thing. That's my takeaway. I love the fact that we had a chance, as you said, Sharon, on your podcast not too long ago, as you were talking about the five different levels of, of relationships, is that at this event, everybody was given the permission slip to have a level five conversation, meaning that I'm willing to openly talk about money and the problems that I'm facing around that. Because as Napoleon Hill says, is when two or more people get together to focus on a problem or a goal, they create that third mind. And I, I love being in community with people who are open to do that. And to be honest, in order to do that, you have to have a smaller group. You have to have a group that's aligned because if you have one person who's focused on building 200% of passive income and you have one person who's never done it and who who doesn't care about it, who just enjoys traveling and, and, and spending time, you know, bowling or whatever, not that any of those are bad, but if they don't have the same goals and objectives, it's going to be hard to be an alliance, right? It's going to be hard to be solving the same problem and to have a level five conversation with that person. So I think that that's the benefit. That's the, that's my gain from being in this room is that I'm able to do that. All right, gentlemen, we've got to break this, this event down where we were there for two and a half days into three areas, right? First area that I think was a big takeaway is what was the the viewpoint on the economy to give us a lens to think about the opportunities that existed. So I'd love us to give a little bit of feedback to the, the person listening right now who wasn't able to hear what that is and, and that maybe give them some insight. Second thing is what are some of those passive income strategies that were shared? Maybe one a favorite for you, or maybe it was the technology that's allowing us to organize, track, and report on it. And the third big idea I think we should we should share is really how do we protect it? How do we uh, prepare our future generations to accept it and not have that money dissipate from shirt sleeves to shirt sleeve in three generations, like some of the largest families, like the Vanderbilts that were shared. All right, Sharon, I'm going to come to you. I would love to get on this first point, uh, the economic outlook and the lens in which you took away of how you're going to apply that going forward into investing. So uh, if we don't understand where we are in the seasonality of the market, it's very hard for us to actually make decisions. Now, it doesn't, I'm not talking about market timing. I'm talking about market intelligence. There are times when we should do things and there are times when we shouldn't do things. I'll give us all an example. We all know that when rates are high, we borrow less and weights are lower, we borrow more. And, or at least it gives us a capability to do that, right? The key part of this is it's not about market timing. We all think that, oh, he timed the market right. Well, it's not, there's this phrase that's, you know, that, that we always say, which is, you know, right place, right time. Well, it's not right place, right time. You always have to be in the right place. The right time will happen. You always have to be in the right place. The right time will happen. And I think you need market intelligence for that. And the thing that I took away a lot was there are certain asset classes that we have to watch for that are somewhat distressed right now over the last 15, 20 years, 
a space that I've invested and spent a lot of time heavily in is multifamily apartment complex investing. And um, for the operators that have not spent a lot of time doing that in a thoughtful way, over the last two, three, four years, they have made deals that are now making them regret on those deals. And it's actually busting a lot of covenants and you're getting a lot of distressed multifamily assets. Now, it's not the case for all operators, but it is the case for some. So the thing that I took away was, how, what is the way that we can actually take advantage of this market intelligence related to multifamily? I'll, Russell, I'll give you an interesting example. Um, at Arc Multifamily Group, we recently, about a year and a year and a half ago, we bid on an asset for roughly $55 million. Well, just 30 days ago, and we and we didn't get it. We didn't get the asset. And someone else bought it for $55 million or more. And uh, 30 days ago, we got approached by the same operators who bought this property and said that they would actually sell it to us for $45 million. Now, that's fascinating if you think about that, right? It's not even a year, year, year and a few months that they were willing to take that much of a haircut to sell this asset. Now, we are fortunate that one, we underwrote very tightly on that asset. We passed on something that we didn't want to uh, go further on. But now we have a chance to buy a not a distressed asset, but a distressed operator. That's the big difference here. A lot of times what people think is they say, oh, multifamily as an asset class is distressed. That is false. That is wrong. That is not true. What is true is that you don't have a poorly performing asset. You just have a poorly performing operator. That is the big difference. And so now we are actually looking to be the white knight by coming in and taking over an already well-performing asset by just bailing out the operator. So the big shift for me was to help people understand that the asset class is not distressed. The asset is not distressed. That's what uh, that's what the false propaganda is purporting, saying, oh, don't go into that asset class. If the assets are working just fine, we have rents at all-time highs. We have affordability at, at you know, it's so difficult right now. People are renting more in multifamily. But the operators who cut these, these deals 12, 18, 24, 36 months ago are hurting right now. And so we have distressed operators, not a distressed asset class. Mm, so good. Staddy, what was your biggest takeaway from the economic outlook? Well, I, I can't uh, I can't give enough credit to our, our friend um, Bob Frazier, who shared this with us, a CFO of Aspen Funds, and just a super knowledgeable. He he wants the data to drive his investing, and so with him him sharing those insights was huge for me. I won't go into all of the details because it just wouldn't make sense in the context of our conversation today. But a couple of things he pointed out: one, the the basics about China. And them as a country, largely because of their social governance, um, has caused them to be a shell of a country. And what that means for manufacturing is that in the next 10 to 15 years, we're going to see a massive shift from China being this juggernaut, this superpower in the world, to really needing to be bailed out in this. And so we're going to start seeing the need for more industrial spaces here in America to be able to take back manufacturing of the products that we're so used to having. That was huge because I had never considered industrial as an asset class that I would have even considered. It just seemed too kind of too clunky to me and something that just would be unknown, but it's definitely something that would be on my agenda or on my mind now. And the second thing he talked about how residential retail 
has been on the rise since COVID. And he showed, of course, graphs and data to, to support all this. Um, but man, it started making me think that uh, tied to the fact that um, baby boomers are retiring at a huge rate every single day. A lot of these uh, retail strip malls, I'm talking about just the small ones that you see in your subdivisions and, and really like just a little, um, you know, places where there's dry cleaners and, um, you know, small banks and things of that nature. Those little retail strip malls are going to be more and more in demand and they've not been constructed. Like there, there's no new construction in those areas or very little to keep up with the demand. Now add that to, you may have a baby boomer who's looking to retire and they may be able to own or finance those to you at a, at a position that's 50% of what it would actually cost to build right now. That's a winning formula in my mind. And so again, two asset classes I would have never considered before hearing this economic outlook would be industrial and uh, residential retail. And man, that was, that was super valuable to hear. How about you? But one of the things that I, 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 it was interesting, right? And I'll, I'll love to see it play out, but he, he showed a a quote from Jerome Powell, the, the current, um, fed board chair and his, his, and his, uh, boards focus on reaching 2% inflation. And they, he went through multiple different times within this quote saying that they were going to do everything they possibly could use every tool to at their disposal to reach 2%. And here's what the, so what to that is for you and me is that that means they're going to keep interest rates as high as possible to try to drive down the inflation rate, right? Now, we know that inflation is nothing more than the expansion of the money supply. They've already expanded the money supply. When you look at some statistics, they showed how much money was sitting, trillions of dollars sitting in bank accounts today that wasn't sitting in there just three years ago. That was pretty interesting, right? So maybe we're not headed for the recession that we thought because of how much cash is sitting on the sidelines. But also, we know that because if there's all that cash, as they spend money, as we start driving more dollars to less products, that's going to drive price up, and they're going to declare that inflation, right? They're going to say that's inflation. So they're going to keep raising the rate of interest that they're charging, banks are charging out there to try to get people to keep money at the bank, right? Instead of pull it out and go invest it, build and, um, and expand in their different businesses and other areas to try to reduce the amount of demand that is existing. So I think that that's interesting is we're making decisions out there. If you're banking on interest rates to be coming down, the Fed chair right now is saying they're going to do everything they possibly can, in essence, to keep interest rates higher for longer than we're anticipating. That was interesting to me. If you've listened to our show for any length of time, you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we were able to use that concept to create over $50,000 a month in passive income. But it's just not that easy to figure out how does this all connect into my own personal system? Stallion, that's why we created the Passive Income Operating System, bro. It shows you how to turn active income into passive income. It makes all the steps come together. 
you would like to get access to it as a podcast listener, we've never given this away in public before, go to wealthwhatwallstreet.com forward slash P-I-O-S. There was nothing worse than walking into class when you're in school and the teacher saying, pop quiz day. Why? Because you were unprepared. Are you unprepared though for financial freedom? Don't be. Find out how close you are by taking our 30 second quiz at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash quiz. Second thing that we said we we're going to cover are the both the passive income strategies that existed out there, as well as the different opportunities for us to um, track and report on those. So, Sharon, what was one of the passive income um, strategies out there that you heard and what was the most interesting thing about it? So one of the things that um, I heard was a, a blend of what I have, uh, what I understand and what I don't understand. And I think this is important for everybody. One of the things that we do is we spend a lot of our time investing in multifamily. And the key reason for us investing in multifamily is the ability to get depreciation. For those that don't know, depreciation is the ability to take kind of passive losses and net them against various types of income. Well, there is an IRS tax code um, rollout that says that they're going to phase out bonus depreciation over the next five years, which means that over the next five years, we have the ability to capture more depreciation before it gets completely phased out. And I was trying to look at this, Russ, from the lens of what other areas of investments uh, allow me to get more depreciation for the same amount of, of money or resources. And while talking to Scott Myers, the self-storage component is very interesting as well. I, I got introduced to the idea that when you have more industrial materials in a building or in a physical structure, you have the ability to get more cost segregated depreciation associated with it. So you can actually get more of a bang for your buck from a depreciation perspective. So uh, I've been thinking a lot about how can you get in a time where depreciation is getting phased out and a lot of folks realize that uh, taxes are the biggest drain on wealth creation, bar none. How can we get more depreciation to help us, lift us, carry us through this process? And it's not just getting a dollar or two dollars of depreciation. It's not getting a pound or two pounds of depreciation. For the same amount of effort, can I get more? So it opened up my eyes to have a different question to ask as to what are the various asset classes or opportunities where I can still keep my risk down, still keep my dollar amount down, still keep my investment the same, but still get a higher depreciation from it in a time where it's getting phased out. So uh, that was a big takeaway for me to use that lens and looking at things. Right. I love that. How about for you, Stallion? What was one of the biggest passive income strategies that you were focused on? Yeah, I, I want to kind of mimic what you were talking about, Scott Myers with selfstorageinvesting.com. Um, super knowledgeable, uh, 25 years in the self-storage space. Um, and, and just a, a real heart to give and, and to teach. And that's the kind of people that we love to be in the room with. But from an asset class perspective, there's so many things I love about self-storage, but he went even a little bit deeper. And I don't know if you picked this up for us, but one of the things that he shared was about how there's so many opportunities for conversions in the self-storage space. Like I think most people think I either buy a mom and pop kind of self-storage facility and try to raise rents and, and you know improve it and so on and so forth, or I build it from the ground up. But he showed examples of how they created from like these, you know, those those kind of decimated uh, retail centers where there's a big box and nothing's been in there for years and years, and how really kind of the the cities and the communities are more and more open to having a really professionally 
created self-storage facility with drive-through capabilities and everything else that, man, the demand is surging um, since the pandemic uh, from both, you know, virtual work is is a, a trend in this space that's allowing people, they want to store more stuff, but so they have the freedom to move around the country and to be, um, you know, more geographically limited or limitless in terms of their work since they can work remote. And then like minimum uh, millennials, uh, this is something I did not think about, but millennials are largely minimalist, which would not be a good trend for self-storage, you would think. But he said, largely millennials are buying more and more toys for experiences. They, they value experiences over, you know, physical assets like homes and everything else. And he said, man, they need a place to park those things. They need a place for the RV. They need a place for the, you know, the side-by-side or whatever it is that they're buying to experience. And uh, man, it just points to more and more demand in the space. And so it certainly got me more interested in that as an asset class. What about you, Russ? Yeah, we talked about the economic outlook. And one of the things that we didn't touch on is what is going to be the need and the growing demand for energy, right? Like the U.S. is one of the largest producers of energy itself. And what we were talking about the different investment opportunities that are out there that are in, or in the energy space. And I'm going to kind of pull from two different speakers, right? So Dave Zook with the Real Asset Investors was sharing that we need to be considered how we're investing from a tax perspective, right? So we should always be looking at different assets that we can invest in, but also seeing how those investments are going to potentially produce income and if there's any tax benefits that can play off and help us offset income. So, you know, there's certain investments that can offset passive income streams. There's certain asset classes that can offset active income streams. And when we were listening to Bob Frazier kind of give the economic forecast, one of the stats that stuck out to me, he said that 6% of all the cars that were purchased were EVs, right? Electrical vehicles. But yet that those 6% represented 65% of all the lithium produced, which is what creates and uh, is used in those batteries, right? So when you think about the, we, we're thinking that we're moving into this green environment where we're going to have all of these electrical vehicles on the uh, on the ground, and 65% of all the lithium that exists right now is being mined to support the 6% of electrical vehicles. Like we know that energy, like natural gas, crude oil, it's going to be around for a long, long time. We're going to see a much more demand for that, especially as we have more and more of those EV cars out there. But yet also now they, they can't be run. Like they, they, there's not enough people for them. They got to go to, to the other energy source. I think looking at the potential continuous rise in energy prices, like crude oil and natural gas, and try to find good operators with good track records that have value opportunities for us as investors, I think it's a big, a big play. Let's, let's jump into the third point which we said, which is how do we protect this? How do we pass this down to the next generation? Sean, what was a big takeaway for you there? So a big takeaway for me was realizing that we like to poo-poo complexity when we don't understand it. And here's what I mean. We say that, oh, um, I don't need a complex estate plan. I don't need uh, multiple trusts and LLC and asset protection structures. I don't need a system to manage 
my my cash uh, for the potential things that are going to happen in the future. I don't need an infinite banking system. I don't need to build my own bank so that I can borrow from it and help my family. I don't need all of those things. I'll worry about it when I actually get there next time. I'll worry about it when it becomes a relevant need. And um, as Andrew Howell was sharing this idea, I realized that, yeah, there were some things that I needed to work on right now. There were some things that were relevant right now. There were some things where I even knew that I was late on, that I should have done many years ago. But what I realized was for the first time, the things that I needed to build for the future did not feel as heavy. I realized that if I don't, if I actually had a lot of these things, the the ideas in place for the future, it would give my it would give me a lot more safety, security, and peace today, knowing that I have good infrastructure to manage whatever might come at me. Yeah, sure, I may have to make some adjustments, but I still had great infrastructure. A lot of times, I think what we do from a planning, wealth transfer, uh, security perspectives perspective is we plan too late, and so we don't get a chance to implement strategies early enough. And a big takeaway for me was that uh, in which kind of looking into the future as in looking forward, but reasoning back and saying, I, I, I look forward, I may have to build a system that I don't fully live into right now, but that's okay because knowing that it's there, knowing that I have that allows me to live into something much bigger than I already have. And that was a big mindset shift for me. I love that. Stallion, what about for you? A uh, few, few major takeaways. Um, number one, everybody's plan for this is not a cookie cutter scenario. If you're, if you're entrusting your wealth transfer, your legacy plan, your hundred year plan to someone who is literally just going to put you on a conveyor belt and just say, here, tack this on, tack this on, tack this on, start this LLC, start this LLC with no regard to your values and no regard to your current situation and your future projected situation then you're in the wrong place. Uh, that was a, a major takeaway. And it started with Andrew Howell just sharing how they walk people through their family values and that wealth, the transfer of wealth is not just assets. It's the values and the, the information or education behind how that family got to where they're at. Um, man, I, that just was super intriguing to me. It's, it's a process that I know that I need to take the steps on. Uh, but what a challenge to you as you're listening that, man, you're the captain of the ship and you get to formulate this plan. I'm not saying you have to understand all the complexity. When I'll, I'll be honest, when Andrew showed his plan and all of the LLCs and all of the trusts and how they work together, to be honest, I'm just glad there are people that understand how that works, but I need to be the one to be the captain of my ship. I need to be the one to, to set the course on a values-based kind of journey with my family. And, and to your point, Sharon, there's, those things can't wait, right? There's certain things that have to be done. And, and that to me was a real motivator to say, I'm not going to just look back, you know, 15 years from now and say, Ooh, I wish I had, I'm just going to do it now and go ahead and put that infrastructure in place. One of the things I took away from this, guys, was we are spending a lot of time building businesses, building assets. And for most of us, we're not spending any time trying to think about how to protect it. Like there's one accident 
one lawsuit that could potentially steal 25, 50, 75, 100% of what we've built away. And all of that is avoidable. It literally is avoidable. What you said, Joey, is that you didn't understand a structure. What I understood about a structure was if someone sues him, they're going to get a hashtag sand. <laughs> they're literally going to be told to pound sand because there is no way you are going to access the money that he's built because of the structure that he put in place. That was one big takeaway. The second one from it is, man, how important is it for us to structure things in light of our kids inheriting them, right? Because we also want to give instruction and continue to teach and to be able to use our values, as you said, Joey. But one of the, the biggest things that I loved about this, he says, hey, when you do this right and you build this plan so that way, one, no one else can steal this money from you, regardless of what happens, you also can make the same thing happen for your kids. So when the money is transferred to your kids from this trust, it doesn't enter their estate either. So one of the biggest thieves out there is the U.S. government, is the IRS. They're taking so much money when people like us who have been building businesses, creating wealth, creating jobs, and pass this money down, 40, 50, 60% of this money is now stolen in the form of taxation. And then that continues to happen. But yet, if we set it up correctly, not only can people not steal it from us in the form of a lawsuit today, but also we can set it up where it doesn't show up in the estates of ourselves or our kids. I love that. I love the fact that we need to be way more focused on how to protect the things that we've been spending all this time to build. Now, gentlemen, I know this is a long podcast and this is a lot of feedback. I hope that you've enjoyed this, whether you're watching this from uh, the Wealthwell Wall Street podcast or from the Business School podcast. We've enjoyed being able to share these nuggets with you. Final uh, thought, Sharad, as we break away. The um, the one tactical thing that I <clears throat> that Andrew said, which I want to share with everyone, was that uh, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, you're going to own things in your life. Maybe property, maybe assets, maybe cars, maybe jewelry, and there's almost no reason to hold that in your name. There's almost there's he said there's almost no reason to hold that in your name, and that I think that should go. To that should hit everyone right between the eyes and say, "Hey, is there anything that I have that is in my name? And if if I if I do have it, why? Why do I have it?" And he said, "There's almost no reason for it," and that forces us to realize that there is a better way to do things. Stallion, final thought. My final thought is: is every one of these retreats, we have new insights, we have new things that we're taking away from it. The content is changing. The room is even improving every single time. I mean, we heard that from people that have been at each one of these events over the last two years. This is our fifth one that we've done. But the thing that won't change is the people in the room and their commitment level to each other. And if you're that person right now who is like, hey, those are really cool insights. I I'd love to be exposed to those kind of speakers and those kind of that kind of data and all those things that would, that would really help me. That's great. But if you want to be in the room with people who are actually committed to helping you get to your goal, like if you don't have something to solve, don't join us. But if you have something that you're trying to solve, 
and we've mentioned one of those things that you're you're like, hey, this is something I need to check off the list. This is the group for you, and you have an opportunity. Um, go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash the passive income mastermind or the passive income mastermind.com and apply. Yeah, this is our board will take a look at your application, we'll do an interview, and we'll see if you're a good fit. But ultimately, don't don't sit on this and don't wait on this. This is the kind of group that will help you get to your goals. So are you taking the time on a regular basis to focus on growing your wealth, growing your passive income as much as you're spending the time to grow your business? That's the challenge for you. Do you have other people in your life who are at the level that you want to be at or further that you can go to for questions? Do you have a, a resource outlet for every tax idea, for every estate planning idea, for every new passive income operating uh, strategy that exists out there? If the answer is no, then it sounds like you need to be a part of a group who has access to that sort of information. Sharon, you, you gave us a lot of amazing things at this event that we were taking away. One of the ones for me was what if, what if I lost everything? What if that was the mindset that I, that I, I was thinking about as I got ready to do another deal, as I was saying, have I protected everything, all my assets? And you said, write down that plan so that you can literally think about it before it ever happens. And by doing that one, what you're going to do is make sure you don't because you're going to have all the protection measures in place. And I, I love that as my biggest takeaway is something as simple as thinking about the worst case scenario in advance, writing it all out. And by doing that, I never will experience the worst case scenario because I've already prepared for it. How are you prepared? And do you have people in your life challenging you to be prepared? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Hope you had an amazing uh, experience. Hope there was some great insights. If there were, please share it with someone else that you know, like and rate, review the podcast. We'd love to have you uh, come back and listen to whichever podcast that you're a new visitor to. Have an amazing day. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.